Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety. Today, my guest in New York is Amy Emmerich, chief content officer and president North America of Refinery29. The audience is the boss of me. That's Emmerich's mantra for leading the digital lifestyle brand that targets young women. Emmerich joined the company from Vice about five years ago to ramp up its video strategy. Long and short-form video was a major goal of Refinery29's four founders. That early focus has allowed the independently-owned company to weather the storm in the wake of Facebook's now infamous algorithm shift that has taken such a toll on digital publishers. Emmerich's background as a producer and executive for MTV and Travel Channel and other brands has prepared her well to court the Refinery29 demo with what she calls a balanced diet of style and substance. Amy Emmerich, President North America and Chief Content Officer for Refinery29. Thanks for stopping by today. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. So you are working and one of the bigger brands, one of the one of the well-known brands that has really come up quite quite quickly has developed a following in the last couple of years Refinery29. It's known for attracting millennial and post-millennial women. Mm-hmm. You're working in a challenged space right now, the digital native advertising supported content. How are you guys navigating it? Um, we're doing fairly well. Um, I think when I hear that today, it's challenging. I don't know if I ever entered the digital space at a time when it wasn't challenging. <laughs> um, as someone and disruptive who, and, and disruptive basically and changing the way we part of why consume I joined media. It, exactly. And part of why I joined was because it was the Wild West, right? I mean, and that is exactly what it is, wild. You have to be comfortable with change. You have to be really good on your feet. You've got to think about your strategies and review them quarterly. Unlike when I was in television, it was a yearly experience. Um, but I left television um, so I can enter that space because it also forces innovation. So I don't know, as long as I think you keep your eye on the prize of what you as a business and a brand are doing and not reading the trades every day with FOMO of what your competitor might be doing, um, it's easier to keep your head straight and your strategy smart. So um, we've been feeling it definitely, but not from like a, like I've been feeling it from an opportunity space. In meaning that you feel like there's more opportunity as some of some of the competitors yeah. maybe pare down. Um, that, that's that's one. Um, I think Refinery has really felt competitive state heat up though over the last few years. The good news is the rise of women um, is happening all around us. So there's other brands being built to service that. But I think there is space for many of us um, as we kind of push the movement forward. But. The, it all leads to opportunity. Um, I think we've been good. The, the brand itself has always been good about balance. And the balance... Balance we, of... I think every high-low, you know, from the origin story of writing about fashion, whether that's high or low of fashion. When I got there, it was really about the balance of style and substance, making sure we're serving her from a political or information standpoint, but we're still serving the very simple nature of what mascara am I going to buy? Right, the the, cool, lips, the yes. cool lip gloss um, of the month, and, right? And I think women are very good at juggling, obviously, so it's all about how we, if we're servicing her to the fullest, you really do have to balance the load of information that someone may want. And part of that balance was diversification of the company, which from the moment they hired me was always the plan. I mean, they brought me on five years ago to build a video business. I'm laughing this week at New Fronts, everybody's video first. Well, (laughs) um, luckily they thought about that five years ago, um, but they didn't ignore their core loyalists. So the newsletters are still some of the biggest audience that we have, the organic 
growth of the company is still the strongest. Um, it's such minimal paid. It's unbelievable. What still goes to the core dot com of this brand at a time when I think others wouldn't even be building a dot com. But at the same time, how are we diversifying inside the affiliate business, the international business, the video business and the events business? Um, and the balance of that has um, done as well. How do they come to you? Do they come through social media? Do they come in the front door through the old-fashioned homepage? They, they come from everywhere. Um, <laughs> all sides. On all sides. I say I sit in a room, a circular room with windows wrapped around it, and they, they climb through every window. Um, no, it's a matter of how do you reach them where they are, which you'll always hear, but I think it's much more deep and detailed than that. It's what stories are you serving in all the places that someone can pick us up. But we even have URL to IRL, which is the events business. What is it that we're making that shows up in the physical space? And then how are we bringing them back into the fold? It's the age bracket. Um, Jerry Laybourne, who's a mentor of mine, says to me, there's a young woman inside every woman. <laughs> and if you really break down the age, the age is a tool for marketers. But as creators, where are we all at from an age perspective on how we use the tools, not how is the content catered to me because of my age? two different things. So um, newsletters tend to be, they could be our demo from 24 to 34, if not older, much. Um, and then you've got things like Snapchat, which the audience is just growing and growing for us, and YouTube, where we'll see 13 to 24. Um, some of that content can still be the exact same. I always use from the plain service experience the mascara, because at least maybe mine myself never know what mascara to buy. Um, <laughs> the only difference would be somebody on Snapchat may want to know what the cheapest mascara is to buy versus someone within the newsletter is much more interested in a higher dollar value. But that goes with rights, reproductive rights. The audience on Snapchat is very interested in sex education, and that could be because this country has some of the worst sexual education practices in the system, um, and they need information. So how are we doing that in a very responsible way? Whereas older women might be a little bit more interested in self-satisfaction, self-love, um, but still interested in sex overall. <laughs> uh, so the topic is the same, but just how we cater to it and to them is a little different. And um, and so, I mean, the assumption is that it's largely young women, but do you have an older audience? Do you do? I mean, that th even the term older to me is very funny. We uh, Well, we <laughs> recently, and I'm jumping ahead, but we recently did a project with um, AARP um, about ageism. And when they first came to us, they said, oh, women over you know, 50, and this is the issues. And I said, yeah, I'm watching women in their 20s deal with ageism. They're all told they're too young, or they, they, you know, they should dress younger. And like, <laughs> what do these words mean to us, and what is older? Um, if you're looking just at numbers, yes, there's an audience especially that we can reach on newsletter. Anywhere I go, someone will tell me they, they read that newsletter. 40s, 50s, I've even had 60s and grandmas um, tell me that they see that. But for us, the prime focus has always been 18 to 34. And if we create for that, we find it reaches everyone. And it sounds like you create, you really tailor content specific to various platforms. It gets that Correct. granular. Yes. Um, there's... We, we do something called trans creation, um, which is really an international lens on how we can take pieces of content and make sure there's a localized viewpoint mm. on that content. But it kind of works for the platforms, too. Who's the specialist in Snapchat that can see something that maybe we made for .com, but what, how does it need to twist? What does it need to be added to? What ingredient might be missing for that same piece of content to work on Snapchat? What is that audience? How does it need to look? Could be a visual design more than the, the written word. Um, or the video point, but they try to tailor it to make it work for that channel. 
Explain to us how, you know, kind of how your content operation works. How many people you have devoted to creating video for the content? How much do you have for just sort of more purely editorial, text-based um, material? So as the chief content officer, I always oversee the content group. And we break out the content group by um, crafts. Mm. Video group, events group, editorial group, photo, design. Um, there is also a commercial creative group for ideation for like all of our brand Branded partners. content. Yes. Um, however, there's a three-axis matrix that runs throughout that, which is also category. So our editorial team is focused on categories, beauty, fashion, travel, lifestyle, politics, news. Um, and then we utilize that specialty and run it through the rest of the crafts. So it's kind of like a, I call it a feminine leadership principle that we work as partners. It's not one choke to throat, as capitalism likes us to think, that you have a partner in this business, and the right way to serve her is to make sure we're covering the specialty of what is the craft you're making, um, a video or an article, but making sure you have the category expertise in what you're making it in. Um, and then that's how we make it. Uh, video, the numbers, um, editorial, we probably have around 50, and video is probably around 40. Um, there's freelancers, of course, that we work with. Um, all the time. Photo and design is probably about 20. Um, I'm rounding mm -hmm, here. Sure. Um, and it also is, we're a seasonality company. So from a freelancer standpoint, it's a little lighter in the beginning of the year and it gets heavier towards the end of the year. Why, why is that? Just because there's more? Just the season of the business. It's mm -hmm. a little lighter January through March mm -hmm. and then it really picks up second half of the year. Um, and we've been working on that and that's purely from the ad sales side of the business. The originals business is busy. It's twenty four seven. Twenty four seven, and I don't. I don't know if there's anyone in digital or new media, as I like to call it, that ever has downtime. <laughs> um, but just considering if you're moving at one hundred and eighty miles an hour compared to eighty miles an hour. Let me ask you to your point about you know it, partnership is the mantra and is the ethos yeah. there. But how do you enforce that? People can be people can be territorial. People can be suspicious. People can be you know. Women, just like you know, just like anybody else, can be you know can be less than collaborative. How do you how do you make that understood that that is this is the way that it's going to work at Refinery Twenty Nine? Um, it's all about culture, right? And how do you maintain culture? Um, it is a living, breathing organism. It's a full-on ecosystem, and like all ecosystems, it's really complicated to keep it healthy. But you have to care for it at all times. Um, I give the founders a lot of credit that they built a mission and a purpose and an onboarding process at the brand that everyone can understand that the brands what the brand stands for, and that purpose and mission is the number one fact. We lead by example and talk about how we are on the same boat so it doesn't matter if one department succeeds if the whole of the business is not what good does that do for anyone and in order for us to really push the mission you know forward for all women to see feel and claim their power how is that going to work if we're at odds against one another um so it, it kind of i think we also celebrate the partnerships it's never about one person's win i think the thing we love to celebrate more than anything is the collaboration and the cross-team participation and highlight that, yeah, this took quite a few people to get this going and to make this right. So what we're celebrating is how you found solutions and you were a solution-oriented partner to everyone at the company and you sought out a way to make this work and to make this piece of content great. And we celebrate that consistently. Pierre Gilardi is one of the co-founders and she does a monthly creative meeting. And in that meeting, she literally does like celebratory um, where everyone can nominate someone else who worked well with others. Um, and I think you have to keep that and maintain that. Um, 
um, heavily and consistently. But it's, it's one of the most important values. It is some of our best work is when we all come together. Well, it sounds like, as you say, it's a culture. It's just baked it's in baked into the into absolutely. The culture, yeah. um, and Refinery29 is also interesting in that it is still owned. It was four founders in 2005, and it was really started out with the real focus on fashion and, and highlighting up-and-coming designers and hot spots in New York City. Yeah. What would you say was the escalation point where it became this expansive digital content site that it is now? You know, I think the they tell the story of the four friends around a kitchen table, and, and they had this idea and stuck with it. But the Philip and Justin, who are co-founders and co-CEOs, really driving the business, and Pierre and Christine driving the voice and the vision. Um, and I think being able to be so loyal to one another and stay true to one another helps enforce those culture um, culture mantras and, and, and purpose. And uh, But they, they didn't start out thinking this was going to be for women. They thought it was amazing to see all the emerging voices coming through fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, they all hustled, newsletters on the streets, like getting emails, right? I mean, it was a different time, 2005. Um, <laughs> a simpler time. <laughs> a simpler time. Um, but newsletters still were the main way. Email, getting your email address was the main form. Um, but it was always through storytelling. And I think Christina Pierre, inside what at that time was a magazine publisher universe that they were in, making sure that women specifically can see themselves differently than what was being portrayed and how we were being represented, struck a chord, and it just drove the female audience faster than it drove any other audience. When they had me come on board five years ago, and it was their vision that we were not creating content for social only, we were going to Sundance. That was the what they said to me that kind of hooked me in for this job. Um, was the fact that they had this larger-than-life vision. And when I saw what it was they were making, they just didn't put sight, sound, and motion to it. And I I don't think they had the bravado and understood how magical it was what they were making. As someone who worked at so many organizations... You know, they as, had, a as a producer and as a programmer. As a creator, as an executive. I mean, I've had 15 jobs. For MTV, Vice, Travel Channel. Whether I was working at Rosie O'Donnell, MTV, I was at the launch of Oxygen. I have seen some of the greatest networks get birthed. I've seen some of them die. Um, and to walk into a universe where women were valued and there was more women over men. There were women in power seats. The, the culture was alive in a way I had never seen. And... Christine truly with that voice just so unapologetically and how she was talking about that there should be no shame in in many things, whether that was infertility or the lack of money in your bank account. And that space allowed me to thrive in a way I couldn't have imagined because I was no longer trying to pretend to be an executive at one of these. I could be myself and then lean into my own power and try to to drive leadership that way and create the content based on what they were already making. Um, So I think especially after doing a stint at Vice, um, to leave <laughs> bro culture, which it was at the time, and, and walk into this space like Refinery, I kind of looked at them and said, you, you are not owning what you've been building here and pushing that bravado out into the, into the trade and, and even to the consumer. Like, you got to light this place up. Um, And they were already on that path. They were building at that time. They brought in someone to run the comms division. Um, And I think it it took, and at that moment when they were bringing a few of us from the outside, um, especially in higher up executive positions, it really kind of showed them what they had made and why it was special. And that was exactly what we did. We just poured gasoline over everything they were doing and and lit it up. Um, And there was a bit of, how do we lean into the unconscious bias that existed that people already saw the brand as a, a little female website? Mm-hmm. 
and you're, you belong in this little box over here. The hierarchy of content creation still exists. Yeah. Right? I used to think that reality shows were the gum on the bottom of the shoe when I worked in Hollywood. Um, and then I realized digital media was how, you know, the, the, probably the lowest of that hierarchy. But something's happened with the democratization um, of creation. And I, I find that that hierarchy has been leveled out to a horizontal line and there's a lot of equality now in how we speak and what we make so for us as a brand to show up at Sundance there was going to be an unconscious bias of people saying who are you people what do you mean what is refinery 29 doing at Sundance you guys make digital shorts for young for young women and let's not forget for young women who may not have the 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 power that they should or representation um, that they should so we kind of leaned into that and I think just showed up and shocked everybody because we had great quality programming we had a great strategy around what we wanted to build and why we wanted to build it and they just no one saw us coming and did that would did that make a difference in terms of the perception of the brand to have to have that presence at a Sundance in a I think not just to show up the first year but to be able to consistently show up every year since um, and make sure that the the content stayed really good quality I think has been able to I, could, I felt the difference probably three years in when I was here that they um, people started to respect it yeah. how do people um, how do your users use the brand and connect with the brand are there like peak times is there a prime time for somebody who's going to go on the who's going to go seek out refinery 29 content or is it 24 7 I see 24-7. I can tell you that um, my analytics team will probably give you much more detailed time of day. The early morning, afternoon, like mid midday afternoon, has peaks. and uh, Lunchtime. <laughs> either lunchtime or commute time. Oh, yeah. Either way. Um, but And then, of course, late prime. Um, but to me, it's constant all, all day long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and plus, we have to think about the traffic coming in from different channels might have different peak times and the newsletters go out at certain times mornings um and that stays pretty consistent is the is the audience largely in the u.s or have you no it's definitely grown um our global audience has grown i think it's now 40 percent of our overall composition which is pretty impressive i think comes from outside the u.s comes outside the u.s yes Mm -hmm. what give us some examples of content that really has worked for you um you know, it's different depending on each category, if I tell you by category. Overall, I think the business of the category um, works well, meaning the business of beauty. So we're not just, you know, talking about the beauty products, but who are the beauty brands and who are the beauty craftsmen that apply that makeup, can create the hair, um, and who are the people making the products that you're using and how they're making them and how they are utilizing them. So something about the curiosity of the consumer, the conscious shopper, is really bleeding into the content that they're searching for and looking for. Um, Entertainment never fails. Um, I think trending topics is always going to be something that people are seeking out. Um, Luckily, I think we've built enough trust with this audience that they, they do tend to come to us. Our organic search traffic has grown. It's probably 98% of our overall traffic composition is all organic and all search. So that's an unbelievable testament to the brand and the consistency. Um, A lot of what works tends to match up with what's happening in culture. So for example, if it's lifestyle, it's about small living spaces. 
Ask a Plant Queen. Who would have thought that would go? <laughs> Bananas, also cat lady, ask a cat lady. Um, because what we know about young millennials and Gen Z is they're living smaller. It's not about owning as much. It's about experiencing more. And the content reflects that. Um, one of my favorite stats when I started working at Refinery was how avocado toast was going out of style and kale was working. Um, <laughs> uh, it's good to see that politics is working right now. We've got a column, Hindsight 2020, that's going to start tracking the 2020 election and how sexism plays a major role inside that election. So that traffic has been picking up. Um, will you do for something like that? Will you go the traditional route of having reporters follow certain candidates? How will you tackle election coverage? You know, we have a small but mighty news team. <laughs> um, so, yes, they tend to they'll track everyone running. Um, but if they're going to look at the broader section of how even media is covering the election itself. Um, and I think just for us, let's stay focused on the, that one specific of sexism and see how that's playing a part and how we are reporting it and how people are attracted to the candidates. Um, that'll, that, but they'll track everyone running. We do have a little um, game we like to play that how do we help everyone within all women in Congress become the next Kim Kardashians? Because as a company that writes about the Kardashians, and are we tracking ourselves to make sure that we're covering the Congresswomen as much as we're covering women in entertainment? Um, and that's a little self-imposed goal that we're having now. Does the political coverage get the same kind of traction with readers typically? Or does it have to be a, a particular story that strikes a nerve no, in, I, the, I, in the political realm? The, the categories are never one for one. Entertainment, um, things like food. You know, I used to work at Scripps Networks, even in food and home. Food always normally was a higher tick. Um, it's amazing what Kathleen Finch has done there, and home has definitely grown. But there's normally certain categories that are always going to super serve the audience because it's a little bit more um, wide. But for us to see the change in the curiosity around the politics coverage um, has definitely been a higher surge. So, but the entertainment, it's more about, I think, trending and the, the FOMO of what's happening day to day. So when you hit a nerve like politics in a trending moment, it'll surge sky high. Mm -hmm. Yes. What's your most important metric in terms of, give us a, give us a sense of the size of the Refinery29 audience God, um, you on your most important metrics? Um, I say, oh, God, because my brain goes straight to how many um, pieces of data we look at in any given day. So it's uh, such a pointed question. Um, the unique users, the most important to us, making sure that we've got people coming to the site and, more importantly, coming back to the site um, multiple times in a month to make sure that, they that we know, to me, that's the trust level, that you'd be willing not to just click once, but you're choosing to click and come back many times that month. That's, that's the trust um, we looked at earned media impressions just to make sure, okay, are we still staying relevant? You know, we push ourselves to make sure that we are cultural taste makers and trendsetters, and the only way that we can kind of track that is through earned media. Um, the audience's interactions, how many comments are they leaving, and are those comments favorable or not? But sometimes the ones that are not can give you more information than the ones <laughs> that are. Yeah. Um, I say the audience is the boss of me. And, uh, and the boss of all of us. And they let us know when we're doing something right or wrong, and they keep us very accountable. Um, so those are probably, and then, of course, view count um, and length of time of viewing, time spent with us is mm -hmm. very important as well. What's your basic user, monthly user base been like for, the say, this year? From a, from a monthly, we can hit organically just on site 30 million. So that's a comfortable number for us, especially in this market right now, and especially organically. You know, I, I cannot... 
pressure enough, you've got you should be asking anyone you work with in this business how much they're buying their audience because that tells you everything. Um, and I'm from really, Russian middleman sites out in the middle of the I dark mean, web. <laughs> who wants somebody that you had to buy? That's not necessarily who you're trying to talk to. Um, so I think it's really important that we stay focused on organic growth. I mean, that is the number one priority and co- topic of conversation, organic growth. Um, and we've made a concerted effort to shrink the amount of paid that happens at this company, and we've done so pretty successfully. So that, to me, is the legacy of the brand and the trust of the brand that still exists. It helps us. And when you do something times. like that, you have, to, you have to take a deep breath and be prepared for a drop. If you have been, if you have been in... If you have been using some paid search, at some point you have yeah. to say, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna cut this I'm gonna cut this tie," and you have to be well, prepared. Well, I think that's what we all felt last year. I mean, everyone felt some from 17 the drop off of Facebook. No, but I don't know. Was everybody living? You know, everyone was living in that world of Facebook was just driving video views, and we were all going to jump on that bandwagon. But who was even really monetizing them? But and you were already on the video train as yes by your arrival, yes. kind of. Yes, we, we had already been, and we'd seen success there, and it was helping drive referral. And I do think, look, whether how much consumption was happening, it was driving awareness and relevancy of the brand, which was helpful. But once we saw an algorithm change and that decline started, it wasn't a matter of just stop paid. It was a matter of how are we going to adjust our strategy to make sure that we can see, a, you know, watch the decline of paid and an incline of search and what is it that we have to change and I got to give the editorial content optimization team a lot of credit I mean that's a lot of focus and partnership with the uh, category leads on what keywords are working you know that's not just data algorithm that's audience insight what are people searching for what are they looking for what are they interested in here's some insight on what we might want to write and make sure we are focused on in the coming months Um, and that can be anything from college debt and if that's what's happening in the market, okay, we can't just write about college debt. How are we going to super serve the audience so they know how to handle the world in which they live in to, to, to manage that if that's what they're dealing with? Um, and that shows itself in so many ways, whether that's Money Diaries, which you talked about, the cultural zeitgeist juggernaut that it is. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Money Diaries, it's where someone will post anonymously how they spend their money in a week. In great detail. In great detail. And, and it's strangely compelling. <laughs> and and then the rest of the world gets to comment on it, which I think is the other compelling part. Um, this was something that started off from an inside staffer, Jessica Chow, who was having a conversation over dinner and realized the conversation was much more interesting when people talked about how they spent the money, not the person spending it. And so that was a way to break this taboo of the shame that women have. One out of four women only have $250 in their bank account. And in a world where we're told, you know, money equals power, you feel pretty weak if you don't have that cash. So how do we build something that can have some joy in it when we talk about funds and why we have them and what we're doing to spend them? And that went from uh, monthly to weekly to daily. That's now a daily column. It then birthed a book, and the book's now birthed a podcast. And that's been also a really good brand partner was into it, came on board and really helped us supersize that and even put the book on a book tour where we sold tickets. And um, it was a great experience for Lindsay Stanberry, who was also on our staff, and she wrote the book, which was pulled from uh, experienced um, women in finance who gave us some advice to help people through this, but also highlighted what we were learning from everyone's posts. These are anonymous posts. We don't reveal race, and that was another topic that came up a lot in comments was people assuming um, what race someone might be. So the amount of data and information even we get from that kind of UGC 
um, polling um, is pretty interesting. And then what other content are we making to service what we're seeing, how women spend money? For example, a lot of women love to spend on something that makes them feel more comfortable. We were seeing an uptick in athleisure wear and sleep wear. So we're looking at consumer products and how do we get involved in actually creating those products since that's something that the audience loves to spend money on in the first place. Um, so it helps enforce and entice and move us to other business areas um, based on that information. How important is that? Is that expansion into things like books and live events? Like, is that becoming a bigger component of your overall revenue base? Absolutely. 29 Rooms took off in such a way that it kind of showed us there was an a huge opportunity, business opportunity, um, as for, well as an for audience conferences opportunity and gatherings. for huge events. And more importantly, I call them ex- their experiences. There are people who throw events all day long. I think there's enough conferences for all of us in this trade could just go to conferences every single day. <laughs> a lot of the talking head business going on. A lot on. of talking heads. This is so much more than that. I mean, this is truly an experience. And that's what, especially the millennial generation, would much rather spend the money on an experience than to own a thing. So, but more importantly, we've birthed a generation with technology where they are all creators the minute they get a phone in their hands. So how do you tie all of those things together? But in the beginning, Pierre, Christine, the founders, they were throwing a party to thank the audience after 10 years. And that birthed into these rooms where each room is an experience where you can create something inside the room. But the room really isn't finished until the audience goes through it and finds a way to create. But each one of those rooms is an incubator for IP. Money Diaries was a room in 29 Rooms, mm-hmm. which allowed someone, again, URL to IRL, to touch and feel the brand in a way that they, you just can't. Why are podcasts interesting? We were just saying you can read about Amy Amrick, but maybe you want to hear my Queen's accent and get to know me a little <laughs> bit more. Um, I think it just deepens the relationship in such a way that you, you can't. Um, and it's become um, a really successful business. We've done a partnership with IMG. 29 Rooms will now be in six markets um, this summer, and then again, 10 polls in New York and LA, and we'll go internationally. And the incoming we got from international markets wanting to bring this experience um, to, to life in their locations. You know, 29 Rooms got birthed outside of Refinery 29, but it's its own social sub brand now that exists on Instagram and in all real life places. But it's just important for us to be able to see and touch, you know, and, and experience. Um, life with the audience, not just through technology. In the past, you have had some investment from traditional television yeah. outlets, from Turner, from Scripps Networks Interactive, which is yeah. now part of Discovery. What have those relationships done for you? Um, I left. I was working at Vice. I went to SPAC to Scripps, and then when I left Scripps to come to Refinery, two weeks later, Scripps was an investor in Refinery, so I felt like I've never left Scripps. Um, they've all been great investors. They've been really good partners to have people in the media space um, support the brand. Um, Scripps is now Discovery. Turner is now Warner Media. Um, we will see. Um, Change is the only constant. That is it. Um, but I, I think it's interesting to even see some of the other people on the board. There is an investor on the board, someone from the tech community. Watching them discuss the different businesses is interesting, right? The people within technology may not understand how the originals business for video works. And the people in media see that business in multiple ways, whether you're on the business development side inside media or you're on the programming side inside Hollywood. So um, having them on the board has been um, has been beneficial for us. We've worked with scripts. We've worked with 
um, Turner in a lot of ways. So um, not just from the investment, but then getting inside and getting to understand who their people are, what their audience needs are, and then um, some revenue transactions as well. Is there any thought in the in the near future of any kind of public offering or anything for Refinery29, any change to the ownership structure as it exists now? Um, that That's definitely more of a question for the four founders <laughs> than for me. Um, I don't see that. I think that the most important thing for them will always be that the legacy lives on and that the purpose of the mission stays intact. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done. I'd like to think that the world is changing for the better for women, but um, I don't see it as enough as I would like to. So as far as that exists, there's the brand's got to go on. If there's opportunity for someone to come on board and help us again pour more gasoline on and light this thing on fire, um, I think they'd be very open to it. The I say every day I'm sitting on a gold mine of IP. The amount of innovation and ideation that comes out of this team on a daily basis, there's no way for us to um, personally finance all of the great ideas and different business possibilities. Um, you can only do 129 rooms. We can't handle seven of those. But we have a co-branded events team that's creating pop-ups for brands nonstop. I'd love to see that supersized. I'd love to see the originals business supersized. We've got originals that started off as three-minute shorts that are now half-hour TV shows that are now development for feature films. I wish I could finance all the feature films. Um, that's just not um, a reality now. So if there was an opportunity to get bigger, I think they would definitely mm -hmm. consider it. And you have a couple of specific projects on the horizon that you're excited about. Yes. Um, Shatterbox Season 3 is uh, in full development and production. Level Forward came on board as our partners um, to help us make that a reality, and it, they couldn't have been better. Adrian Becker um, is someone who I, I was just... I, I idolized. I the mean, CEO of Level Forward. She is the CEO of Level Forward and just an all-around great woman, as well as Abigail Disney. And we've already been working with Killer Films and Christine Vachon, who'd been a partner with us to launch Shatterbox um, its first year to begin with. So, And Shatterbox is a, a series of short films. Yes. So Shatterbox is a series of short films created with a purpose to put more women behind um, the lens and really combat that 8% data that Dr. Stacey Smith from USC put out within the inclusionist group. When we got that data, we felt we must do something. And five years ago, we said, okay, what can we do? We did deep research on what programs looked like currently and realized we could do them a little differently. We didn't need to have shadow programs. We realized we could provide creative freedom. And then we used the power of the marketing platform to really set filmmakers up for future success, meaning how do we pair celebrity hype, um, Kristen Stewart, Gabby Sidibe, Chloe Sevigny, but then make sure they understand they're part of a bigger vision and introduce them to new and emerging filmmakers so that they can use their platforms to also lift the other directors. We make sure we build movie posters for the shorts where the female director's names are at the top of that poster. We go full throttle on press around those shorts as if they were features, and it allows the women to understand not just the system of making the film, but the overall system of marketing and distributing the film as well. So um, we've made 29 shorts now, and this last batch with Level Forward really is a genre buster. Um, they did such an amazing job of staying focused on making sure people can understand that women directors, and I'd rather just say directors, can make sci-fi and horror <laughs> and westerns um, just the same as men. So um, they've done an unbelievable job. Chloe Sevigny is uh, in this second batch, this third batch again as well, and she's now had a film entered into Cannes. 
And I think it's so important that this is a film festival program to make sure also they're getting like a full run and um, purview of all the other relationships that they need to be successful um, in this business. So that's really, um, it's going to be exciting. It's a good next batch. And three. And of when the, will we see those? Um, Oh, we will be definitely distributing them, but we're also in market looking for a partner distribution. We want to go as far and wide as possible. Um, three of the original shadow boxes are all in feature film um, development now, raising funds and financing. With the original directors With involved. the original directors attached, absolutely. Um, no, we, we partner with these women, wouldn't even think of it. It's really their vision. Courtney Hoffman has a, a film, Good Time Girls, which was a feminist Western. That's in development. Um, a new Valia who won the jury prize at Sundance has her film Lucia before and after is in development and then Mr. Malcolm's List which was directed by Emma Holly Jones from a script from the blacklist which is really kind of a period piece like a Pride and Prejudice but it meets the diversity of casting of Hamilton um, we already showed all of these shorts Mr. Malcolm's List blew it out of the water again what you were saying about the details around the casting people want to see themselves on screen and that kind of a movie just exploded, and they're utilizing that data to help raise the funds for that feature for next year now. So that's exciting. And we also use Shatterbox as IP to develop um, scripted or documentary series and then take that into market for platform, OTT, or network. Um, so it's, it's been nothing but giving to us, not just IP and business, but I think the relationships we have with the directors has been some of the fulfilling that I've ever had in my career. And Shannon Gibson, who really leads the charge on this, um, has uh, made sure that art, we are an artist-first community. Um, and so I think that's really important for us. All of the different things that you're juggling um, seem to, in some way, kind of hark back to you started as a runner and gunner with a camera on your shoulder, shooting some of the early MTV reality shows in the early 90s. How does that experience and your formative years influence now all the all the things that you're juggling right now? Um, that's a good question. I think I'm very comfortable in chaos, <laughs> and uh, I thrive in it, whether that's good or bad. But um, I am a hustler. I come from a very working-class family, so I have a pretty good stamina, <laughs> and I, I never get tired. Um, at least I'd like to think that. So the, I, I'm also just a curious person. I started off making documentaries, and working for a show like Rosie O'Donnell where you were learning about human interest and, and what interests you in people. Um, I, I feel like the job is just I'm here to support other people's visions. The only vision I have is to see that I want to see the people who are not getting seen be seen. So as long as I could support Kat, who runs our experiential business, and the four founders, and Stone, who runs the video business, Shannon, who's running Shatterbox, and make sure they have what they need to succeed, then I'm succeeding and the brand succeeding. But um, I'm sure running and gunning with the cops, like I used to do back in my day, definitely helped me build up some stamina. And I think gratitude um, for the world around us. We're lucky to do this job. And uh, there's a lot of people who have a lot harder jobs in, in this world. So how do we add some thanks and gratitude to that and um, push harder? Because I do think it matters um, greater. Art's going to shift everything. Um, so we, we just have such a responsibility and accountability. I don't know how you, how you sleep on that, honestly. It, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming by. Thank it's really you. great to talk to you thanks and learn so more much. about Refinery29. Thanks for having me. This is great. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business.